everybody. Good afternoon. So we've, this is the final week, the fourth week of our four-part series called Our Need for a Savior. And what we've said from the very beginning is that there's this concept in, in the Bible, and it's summarized very clearly in 1 Timothy 1.15 that says that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we said that this word sinner can be kind of an offensive word, so really we've been kind of unpacking it to talk about what it means and then how that looks in our, in our lives. So we've made the case over the past three weeks that we are sinners. Um, the first week we talked about the fact that our hearts, the Bible says even though our hearts have a conscience that sometimes points us in the right direction, even though we have that, our hearts are wicked and our hearts are deceitful and our hearts sometimes trick us and make us think the good things are bad or the bad things are good. And then we said two weeks ago that sometimes we look at ourselves and we think that, oh, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But really God didn't create us just to be, you know, in the top 90th percentile of pretty good humans. What he created people to be is image bearers of God. That we weren't created just to be loving people or caring people. We were created to be loving like God is loving. And then last week, we kind of addressed what is kind of a very common thought today in our culture, which is that, you know, the reason, sure, I do bad things sometimes, but the reason I do bad things is because of my environment or because other people do bad things to me, and I'm just kind of responding and reacting to them. And we said that, no, we can't use that as an excuse because according to the Bible, the reason that sin comes out of us it's not because of sin that's around us, but because of sin that's inside of us. So, yeah, this has kind of been a heavy, a heavy series, you know? I mean, it's, um, I don't know how you're feeling at this point. You know, we've talked a lot about our sin. We've talked a lot about the way that affects our hearts and our lives and our words and our thoughts and our actions. And so, yeah, I want to talk today as we kind of bring this series to a close about what should we do next? You know, maybe as we've been talking about this over the past few weeks, you've been convinced or, or maybe you've been reminded that, yeah, I, I really am a sinner. And what I need is not just, you know, somebody to encourage me or somebody to pat me on the back or comfort me, but I really need somebody to save me. Well, what do we do with that? What are we supposed to do with that? You know, and last week we said that when we recognize our sin, when we recognize that bad things are coming out of us, a very common reaction, I would say especially among Christians, especially among people who are would consider themselves religious, a very common reaction is to say, okay, I'll try harder. I'm going to try harder next time. I'm never going to do that again. You know, this time I made a mistake, but... You know, next time I'm, I've got my plan together, I'm going to be aware of this, I'm going to work harder, I'm not going to make this mistake again. That we respond to our sin by, by trying harder. And we said that really, that's the wrong response. Now, should we try hard? Should we be careful to try to avoid temptation, to try to avoid sin? Yes, we should. But that's not the main response we should have when we recognize our sin. And so what I want to do today is to look at one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It's Mark 10, 
46 through 52. So you can go ahead and turn there with me if you want. It's Mark 10, 46 through 52. One of the really cool things about the Gospels is that you get to see the way many different types of people are responding to Jesus. You get to see religious people. You get to see um, politicians. You get to see soldiers. You get to see prostitutes. You get to see uh, corrupt tax collectors. You get to see the way they respond to Jesus. And most of the time in the Gospels, when we see, when we see the way people react to Jesus, very, very often they're responding incorrectly. They're maybe responding with, okay, I'll try harder. Or maybe they're responding with, you know, oh, that's, that's not for me. Or Jesus can't be who he says he is. You know, he, look, he's just a wandering preacher. You know, he can't be who he says he is. Or maybe people even accuse him of having an evil spirit or something like that. But this is one of the very rare times in the Gospels where we see what I think is a good example of how we're supposed to respond to Jesus. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this response comes from a man who is a blind beggar. He's a blind beggar. So let's look at this. And as we do, I want you to be thinking about how are you responding to Jesus? When you experience sin in your, in your life, whether it's in your past, in your present, um, whatever it is, how are you responding to that? And, and specifically, how are you responding to Jesus? And let's see how maybe God might be calling us to respond to Jesus in a similar way that this blind beggar in Mark chapter 10 responds to him here. So I'll read this. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through, 42, uh, through 52. He says, so in they, so this is Jesus, he's traveling with his disciples. It says, and they came to Jericho. And as he, that is, as Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, okay, this guy named Bartimaeus, who was a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, he was sitting by the roadside. Okay, so Jesus is walking. Um, he's been in a, in a major city. He's probably been teaching there, maybe been healing. And he's leaving the city. And, you know, there's this big crowd of people, you know, Jesus is working miracles. He's this really compelling preacher. So people are following him and he's, he's walking out of the city along the roadside. And there's this man, Bartimaeus, who's a blind, who's blind and he's, he's sitting there, they're begging. And blind people, you know, obviously being blind is always a, a really difficult thing to, to deal with, but it's important to recognize back then, you know, they didn't have any of the same sort of safety nets that we have. You know, very often, if you, if you were blind, then this was the, your only way to, to make money, to, to make a living. If you didn't have family, if you didn't have somebody who was going to take care of you, you know, they didn't have um, job training courses for people who were, uh, who were handicapped or stuff like that. You, you, were, you were really out of luck. And so very often they turned to just begging, just to, to try to, to get by. So this blind man, Bartimaeus, sitting by the roadside, and then verse 47, it says, when he, that's when, when Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many people rebuked him and they told him to be silent. 
but he cried out all the more. He said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him, call him over here. And then they went to the blind man saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And then throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, he said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, he said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And then verse 52, Jesus says, Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately the man recovered his sight and then he followed him as he followed Jesus on the way. Okay, this is one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. I love it because this guy, Bartimaeus, this man who's blind, and he probably doesn't have family, you know, he's, he's, because there's nobody there to help him. He's just sitting on the side of the road, just begging. And it says he hears that Jesus is coming by. And he, he cries out in a loud voice and he, he says, son of David, what does son of David mean? You know, thousands of years ago, God had made a promise to a man named David a king named David, and he said that, that there will be a savior who, is going, who I'm going to send to save my people, and he will be one of your offspring. And so gradually, this phrase, when people would refer to the savior that they're waiting for, they just started to refer to him as the son of David. And so he's, craw- he's crying out, he's saying, son of David, he's saying, savior, have mercy on me. And then when he comes before Jesus, I love this. And, and he, Jesus asks, I mean, he, he's a blind man and Jesus heals people. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> and then he doesn't just say, would you give me a meal? Would you maybe point me in the direction of, of some kind people that I, could, that I could rent a room from? He doesn't say, you know, will you give me a walking stick, please? He says, I, I wanna see. And then what Jesus says in verse 52, he says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And you might be interested to know that in the original language, that the word that's used for your, when it says your faith has made you well, the word made you well is the exact same word that's used for saved. And so when, when in the Bible, when Jesus is saying, your faith has saved you, he's saying your faith has healed you, your faith has made you well. When he's saying here, your faith has made you well, it's the exact same thing as saying your faith has saved you. Isn't that great? Your faith has saved you. So I love this story because Bartimaeus, he knew he was in big trouble, right? And he was, he was desperate. He knew that there was nothing he could do on his own. He was a blind man sitting by the side of the road, not in the city, but outside of the city, begging for, begging for money or begging for food. And he knew that Jesus, he believed that Jesus could help him. And so he called out to him. He cried out to him and asked him to save him. And then Jesus did. And so as we think about what it looks like for us, when we recognize our sin, you know, it would be very easy putting ourselves in, in Bartimaeus' shoes to be like, you know, okay, I'm a blind beggar. I really just need to find a job. Yeah, you know, I, I really just, I just need a break. I, I just need, you know, I just need a seeing eye dog. I, I just need a walking stick, 
or, or something like that. But that, but our response should be the same as, as Bartimaeus, which is crying out to Jesus to save us. We have a problem that we can't fix on our own, which is that we're sinners. We believe Jesus can, can, can help us, that Jesus can save us. And so we cry out to him in faith to save us. So what happens, you know, Jesus asked Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And then he, he heals him. He heals his, his eyes and allows him to see again. Well, when we cry out to Jesus in desperation, cry out to Jesus and, and, and beg Jesus to have mercy on us, what does he do for us? What does Jesus do for us? Remember, he doesn't just make Bartimaeus a little bit more comfortable. He heals him. But what does Jesus do for us? Well, three things that I want to share. First of all, we saw last week that the reason that we sin, it's not because of our circumstances, although certainly sometimes our circumstances will bring out the sin that's in our hearts. But when we sin, we can't blame it on our circumstances because the Bible says that it's coming out of our hearts. And so we sin because we're sinners, not because of our circumstances. Now, if we were just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, then maybe that could be excused. But when we sin against God, when we disobey a holy God, we deserve to be punished. And Jesus, he forgives us. That's the first thing that Jesus does for us when we, when we cry out to him. First of all, he forgives us. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the penalty for sin, what we deserve for sin is death. But Jesus died. God showed us how much he loved us by sending Jesus to die in our place, to die for us. Okay, so he takes the punishment for our sins that we deserved. That's the first thing that Jesus does for us is he forgives us. There's no way we could forgive ourselves, but he forgives us. The, the, as Jesus says in Mark 2, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The first thing he does is he forgives us. The second thing, you know, we, we talked about it two weeks ago, that the, the purpose that Jesus, that God created us for, it's not just to be a pretty good person. It's not just to try to enjoy our life. It's not just to not murder people or to not steal or stuff like that. The reason God created us is to be image bearers of God, to be like him and to show, to be a reflection of who God is so that when people look at us, they see what God is like. And we said, Romans 3.23 tells us that all of us, we might not fall short of not murdering and, and not committing adultery, but all of us fall short of the glory of God. Because we're supposed to be an image of who God is and all of us fail miserably. Well, who is Jesus? How does Jesus fit into this? We were supposed to be image bearers of God, and we have distorted that image. Colossians 1 tells us, it's talking about Jesus, and one of the, the most amazing kind of descriptions of who Jesus is. In Colossians 1.15, Paul says that Jesus, and listen to this, we're supposed to be the image of God. And, and Paul says in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
We are a distorted image, but he is the image of the invisible God. And then Paul goes on to say that in him, that is in Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So we're a distorted image, but Jesus is the perfect image of God. In, in John 1, you know, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to make God known to, to all of creation. When people look at us, they're supposed to see what God is like. But we misrepresent God. We slander God by our actions, by, by not fully reflecting who he is. In John 1, 18, John tells us, he says, no one has ever seen God. Okay, you, you look for God, you look up in the sky, you look in the tree, you, you can't, you don't visibly see God. But Jesus Christ has made him known. We were supposed to be the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. We were supposed to make God known. Jesus Christ has made him known. In Hebrews 1, 3, remember, we're supposed to reflect God's glory. In Hebrews 1, 3, the author tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. It says that he is the exact, I love this, he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. I'm like a really distorted, like funhouse mirror, completely messed up kind of imprint of who God is. Okay, and, and, and so are you. But Jesus, he is the exact imprint of God's nature. So we were supposed to show who God is, and Jesus has done that. Okay, so what am I talking about? We have this job that we will never be able to do. No matter how hard we try, we're never going to be able to fully show who God is. Jesus has made us righteous. The second thing that Jesus does is he makes us righteous. Well, how does he do that? He does our job for us. We have this job that we can't do, and he does it for us. We're supposed to be the image of God, and he comes down, and he is the image for us. So he does our job for us, and then get this, he gives us credit for it. He gives us credit for it. He takes the sin that we have, we just talked about that, he forgives us, he takes our sin on himself, and then he takes his perfect, righteous, holy record of always in every single situation, no matter how bad his circumstances are, always just loving like God and being just like God and showing the glory of God, he takes his perfect record of doing that and he gives us credit for it. He gives us credit for it. And so I wonder, you know, I wonder if, if there's anybody here that has, that has some shame that you've brought today. And so often as Christians, you know, we might be struggling with, with, with an addiction a pornography addiction or a substance addiction, or maybe we've had, maybe we've said something uh, to, to a loved one recently that we really just regret. You know, maybe our marriage isn't in the condition that we want it to be, and we just have all this shame. And we have this shame because we know that we're not who we're supposed to be, right? And Jesus invites us to completely lay down that shame because we don't have, very often when we come to church, we kind of come to church with the amount of confidence or we come before God with the amount of confidence that we have based on how well we've been doing. So if I feel like I've been a pretty good husband this week, then I kind of come to church like, oh, you know, I deserve to come to church this week. But if I haven't, then, oh man, I really feel terrible. But no matter what we're struggling with, whether it's, it's pornography, whether it's marriage, whether it's work, whatever it is, 
Jesus gives us credit for his righteousness, and he allows us to come with the full confidence that we would have if we were just as righteous as he is. Because we are, because he's made us to be that way, if we trust in him. So first of all, he forgives us. Second of all, he makes us righteous. And number three, he puts his spirit inside of us. He puts his spirit inside of us. Look with me at Romans 8 real quick. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 9. So remember, we said that, okay, we're guilty before God because we're not just in the wrong place at the wrong time. We're, we're sinners, but Jesus has forgiven us. And we said that, you know, we distort the image of God, but God has made us righteous because he has done our job for us and given us credit for it. And finally, you know, we, we started out this whole series by saying that one of the things that's so hard in life is that our hearts are tricky. Our hearts sometimes lead us in the right direction, but very often they're tricking us. They're making us think that bad things are good or that good things are bad or that good things are God. And so how are we supposed to live with the heart that's constantly leading us in the wrong direction, that's constantly tricking us? Well, Jesus, remember Jesus, the one who no matter what happened around him, he was always, no matter how much you kind of tip that cup over, the only thing that came out of Jesus was obedience to the Father, was love for other people, was, being, was treating his neighbors justly, no matter who they were. And the spirit of Jesus comes to live inside of us and starts to transform our hearts because our hearts can be deceitful but Jesus takes his spirit, which is the spirit of truth, and he puts it inside of us to lead us, to help us know when our hearts are tricking us and when they're leading us in the right direction. And when we see sin coming up in ourselves, Jesus's spirit, the spirit of God, gives us the power to say no to sin and to say yes to God. This is what Romans 8, um, 9 through 11 says. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. So Jesus forgives us. He gives us a, a perfect record of righteousness. And then he puts his spirit inside of us to help us not only, not only be as righteous as Jesus is, but to actually start acting the way Jesus acted when he was on, on the earth. So he forgives us, he makes us righteous, and then he puts his spirit inside of us to start transforming us and to start changing us. So again, where do we go from here? What are we supposed to do? No matter whether we've been a Christian for, for 50 years or whether we've been a Christian or maybe we're not even a Christian, listen to this. Maybe, we're, maybe we haven't yet put our faith in Jesus. The way we're supposed to respond to him is just like Bartimaeus, to recognize our sin and then to say, Jesus, Savior, have mercy on me. 
to cry out to Jesus in faith to save us. You know, maybe if this is something that you've never done before, maybe you've heard about Jesus and you have seen and you've heard that Jesus has really good moral teachings, right? That there's a lot of really good principles in the Bible. You know, how you should treat your neighbor, how you should act in your marriage, stuff like that. Well, I hope you've, you've seen through this series that Jesus's moral teachings are not enough because a lot of people have really good moral teachings. Dr. Phil has really good moral teachings, right? Oprah Winfrey has some really good moral teachings, but they can't die for your sin and they can't make you righteous and they can't put their spirit inside of you to empower you to live like God wants you to live. And so I encourage you to realize that it's not enough just to have Jesus' moral teachings. We have to cry out to Jesus, not just to point us in the right direction, but to save us, to forgive us, make us righteous, and give us, give us his spirit. You know, maybe for you, that's something you've done a long, long time ago. I know I, the first time I ever did that was when I was six years old. But I hope that as we've been talking about sin, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you know, maybe at first when we start this series, I, I don't know if this was your response or not, but, but maybe you kind of thought, oh, good, this will be really good for helping non-Christians trust Jesus. But if that's kind of where you've, you started, then I hope over the course of this series that what you've seen is that, oh, my goodness, sin isn't just a problem for non-Christians. Sin is a problem for me, too. And, yeah, I'm forgiven. Jesus has made me righteous, but I still need help. I still, need to be, I still need Jesus to save me in my everyday life, to help me, to heal me in my everyday life. And so I hope what you're seeing, if that's kind of the boat that you're in, I hope you're seeing that Jesus gives us much more than just a second chance. It can be so easy to think, you know, okay, Jesus got me started, and now it's up to me to finish the job. You know, Jesus began a good work in me, and now it's up to me to be faithful to bring it to completion of the day of Christ Jesus, right? That's not the way the verse goes. Paul says, I'm confident that he, that's Jesus, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He is, he's both the author of our faith, and he's the perfecter of our faith. You know, Paul calls out the Galatians because they believed that, okay, the way you become a Christian is by confessing your sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. But the way you live the Christian life is by trying really hard. And he said, you guys are stupid. How did you become a Christian? You became a Christian by confessing your sin and crying out to Jesus to help you. Well, not a trick question. How do you continue walking with Jesus? As you receive Christ, so walk in him, so walk with him, right? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's starting with faith, continuing with faith, and then ending with faith. And so if that's you today, and maybe you're in a situation, you know that Jesus has forgiven you, but you're in a, maybe there's somebody in your life that you know God's called you to love, but you just don't love them. Maybe there's a family member that you're just having a lot of trouble with. Maybe there's, again, maybe there's that, that habit that you just feel wrecked by. 
Maybe there's something, maybe you're feeling incredibly anxious about something. Please don't make the mistake of being blind Bartimaeus, but thinking you just need Jesus to give you a walking stick. Instead, cry out to Jesus. He gives us more than a second chance. He gives us more than a new chance. He gives us a new heart. He puts his spirit inside of us so that every single day, in the same way that before I trusted Christ, I call out to him completely by faith, asking him to save me. And he saves me, not because I deserve it, but because he loves me. In the same way, every single day when I can't love my wife, when I can't love my daughters, when I can't love my neighbors, when I can't be pure, whatever I'm facing, in the same way I call out to Jesus in faith and he helps me and, and he rescues me. I wanna finish this message by reading from the, by reading one of the questions from something that our, our kids have been doing in Northwest Kids, we've been going through the New City Catechism. And the New City Catechism, Catechism is just kind of the series of, of questions and answers. And it's asking questions and then giving the answer just as a way for kids and really any of us, all of us, to, to get grounded in the basics of our faith. And remember, we started this series by saying that we need more than just a pat on the back, an encouraging word, some good advice, we need a savior. We need somebody who not only gives us a walking stick, but who can heal us, who can save us. Somebody that can take away our sin, who can give us his righteousness and then give us his spirit. And think about this as we consider crying out to Jesus wherever we are today, crying out to Jesus in faith. Just listen to these words. This is from the New City Catechism, the, the children's simplified version, question 15. It says, since nobody can keep the law, what is its purpose? In other words, since all of us are sinners, none of us can do what God has required us to do. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? And then the answer is that we may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a savior. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just, we just thank you because we know that we don't have anything we could ever do to earn your love or to earn your forgiveness or to earn your help. Thank you for coming because you loved us that much. And God, I, I just pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I, I just pray that would you, as we get that voice in our hearts that says, well, we'll just try harder next time. I pray that you would just help us to, to, to reject that. Help us to discern that and to reject that and to call out to you the same way that Bartimaeus did. Because we need you. We need your mercy. We need your hope. We need your love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.